Go to Philippians chapter 1 with me this morning. I'm throwing all the choir and orchestra and them a curveball. They had a couple more songs planned this morning, but with all the graduation, I just want to dive in God's Word, and uh, I believe God's got a great Word for us this morning. Uh, you, you know what a blessing, I mentioned a minute ago that we have some great friends from Chattanooga with us, Jim and Joyce are down front, and uh, my last Sunday at Bayside, we baptized quite a few people that last Sunday, but Amy was reminding me a minute ago, Joyce, I think you might have been the very last person I baptized at Bayside. And I'm telling you, God was just working in Joyce's life and just convicting her that she needed to be faithful in her baptism and she just came up front and said, you know what, I've struggled with this for a long time, and I, I'm just going to walk in baptism with the Lord. So thank you for that uh, sweet example. It's great having you this morning. All right, the month of May, we are focusing on prayer. How many of you agree with me that prayer changes things? Raise your hand. Does prayer change things? I, I mentioned uh, when we are here for a View of a Call weekend that one time our church family was going to have a revival, so we all made our prayer list, our lost prayer list, and our family listed 10 people that we wanted to see saved during the revival. Well, I've got some great news. All 10 of those people got saved during the revival. But not only did all 10 of those people get saved during the revival, they got saved and came down front in the same order that they were written down on our prayer list. I mean, we got started, person number one got saved, person three, person four, person five. I mean, when we got to seven, eight, nine, and ten, I mean, they didn't have a chance, did they? But I, I remember that so vividly, praying for those ten people and watching those ten people get saved. And I learned at that moment, God answers the prayers of his people. But here's a statement that I want you to get, and it's going to come up on the screen. We don't pray in order to manipulate. When we are praying to God, we are not praying in order for us to try to manipulate God. When we are praying, we are praying that God will put us in a position and in a place that we can be in the will of God. Look at this statement. It's going to come up on the screen, and this is how I, I put it. Our highest aspiration in prayer is not to try to manipulate God. How many of y'all have ever prayed this? God, if you do this, I will never do this ever again in my life. Have y'all ever done that? Have you ever prayed you've been in a tight spot and you pray, God, if you just hear me, I promise you I'll never eat ice cream again the rest of my life. Man, God knows I'm not going to keep that for about 24 hours at the most. I got A bowl of ice cream is good for your pastor every day, don't you think? But all of us have prayed at some point in time, you know, we've tried to make deals with God or bargain with God. How many of y'all have ever asked God to write something in the sky for you? Oh, come on. How many of y'all have ever asked God to write something in the sky for you? Man, I have. Have you ever asked God to, God, will you just write it on the wall? Lord, I, I just got to hear from heaven. I got some great news. 
Two weeks ago, we studied Jeremiah 33, verses 1 through 3. Remember where Jeremiah was at that moment? Remember, Jeremiah was in prison. We realize that in verse 1 and verse 2 because Jeremiah was proclaiming that the Assyrians were going to come and they were going to destroy and we are going to go into captivity. And remember he said, go ahead and just know what's going to happen. They didn't like it, so they put him in prison. So in Jeremiah 33, verse 3, God tells Jeremiah, hey, Jeremiah, call to me. And as a matter of fact, if you look at the Hebrew and how that's really written, that was just not being said to Jeremiah at that moment when he was in prison. This statement was being said, hey, anybody, God said, call to me. Have you ever thought the most incredible thing, that a holy, righteous God is saying, call to me? And we said, what's the promise? God said, the promise is, I will answer you. Not will I only answer you, but I will show you great and mighty things that you don't know. When you really look at the terminology, God said, hey, and I will knock all the fences down. Call to me. But how can we call? Why can we call? We dealt with that last week. Hebrews chapter 10, verse 19 tells us, Why in the world can you and I as sinful people that are separated from God, how can sinful people get in the presence of God? What do we say? There's only one way we have access to God, and that is through who? Hold on, let's say it again. There's only one way we have access to God, and it is through who? Jesus. And it tells us in Hebrews 10, 19, that when we come to Jesus that we can come to Jesus in all boldness and all openness because we're covered with Jesus. And it says, when you come to the throne of God with boldness, with Jesus, you will find mercy and you will find grace for your moment. Here's a question we're going to answer today. What do we need to pray about? What do we need to pray for these graduates? What do you need to pray for your next-door neighbor? You know, I've been telling you, on Sunday afternoons, when you go out of here, I want you to go pray over your neighbor. Remember, I'm not saying go stand and put your hands over their front door and them thinking some wacko's outside their door. What are these people doing? But I'm asking you every Sunday, hey, go and pray over your neighbor, and we're praying that God will reveal that God's going to build a relationship with your neighbor, that you're going to build a relationship with your neighbor. You're going to know their greatest struggle in their life so you can be praying for them. So what do we pray for our neighbors? What do we pray for these graduates? Let's take it a step farther. Hey, look at the person around you. Look to the person next to you. Look to the person behind you. Look around them. I mean, we're we're a good-looking group, aren't we? I mean, look at us. Question. What can we pray for each other? What can we be praying for each other? Well, I'm going to show you in a text of Scripture Philippians chapter 1, I'm going to begin in verse number 8, but we're going to really zero in on verse 9, 
verse 10 and verse 11. As a matter of fact, look at Philippians chapter 1. Look at verse number 9. What does it tell us at the beginning of verse number 9? I mean, go ahead and look at it. We're just family. What does it tell us? Philippians 1, verse number 9. What does Paul say right there? And this I pray. I mean, would you like to look at Paul's prayer list when he's praying for this church? Aren't you grateful? It's going to lay out for us. Paul is saying, I am praying these things, church of Philippi, over you. Let me ask you a question. If Paul is praying these things over the church of Philippi, should we be praying these things over our graduates, yes or no? Yeah. If Paul is praying these things over the church of Philippi, should we pray these things over our church family? Yes. These things we should be praying over our own family. You know, I've got some family members. We got some extended family members. That God's really convicted me reading this. I've really got to start praying these three things over them. But I got a question. Does anybody know where the Apostle Paul was when he is praying? these things over the church of Philippi. Does anybody have any earthly idea where Paul might have been? Ah. I I was going to ask you, how many of y'all have ever been in handcuffs? But I don't think I'm going to make you raise your hand on that. Uh. Paul is praying these things over the church of Philippi. He's sitting in a Roman prison, and shortly he could face Nero, who was hated Christians and was so mean. So here is Paul sitting in prison, and now he is praying for the church of Philippi. What's he going to pray for them? I think is what we should pray for each other. Let's read it. Philippians 1, verse 8. And I want you to, oh, this is just good. This is good. Here we go. Verse 8. For God is my witness. How greatly I long for you all. With the affection of Jesus Christ. Keep your finger there and turn to Philippians chapter 4. Look at verse number 1. Look at Philippians 4 verse 1. It says, Therefore, my beloved and long-for brethren, my joy and crown, So stand fast in the Lord, beloved. 
As a matter of fact, as you study all of the epistles that God allowed the apostle Paul to write, from, you know, we know he went from Saul to Paul. He went from killing Christians to being in jail for being a Christian. Can I tell you, though, out of all of the places you'll read that the apostle Paul writes, he shows the most affection and tenderness to this church of Philippi. But what happened in the church of Philippi? Write this scripture reference down. Write down somewhere in your Bibles, Acts chapter 16. We know the book of Acts is the history book of the New Testament church. If you want to study the explosion in the New Testament church and as it traveled around the world, we study the book of Acts. Well, Acts chapter 16 is the history of what happens with the apostle Paul is in the city of Philippi. So Paul has such an affection for this city. This city of Philippi played a very important role during the day. Did you know this? The city of Philippi was the gateway to all of Europe. I mean, Philippi was so located in the position and the place that in order to get to all of Europe, you had to go through Philippi. It's kind of like, what do we say about St. Louis? You know, they got, what's the big claim, the fame about St. Louis? They have the what? Arches. How many of y'all have ever been up in the arches? Have you? What do they say in St. Louis? They are the gateway to the what? West. Well, right down in your notes, Philippi was the gateway to Europe. As a matter of fact, Philippi was a, a, a city that was really was kind of a miniature Rome. Their culture, their look, their dress, everything was so familiar. They were really a little Rome was the city of Philippi. But Paul greatly loved them. But does anybody know in Acts chapter 16, where does Paul end up in that city? Jail. But how's he going to pray for this place that he loves? Look at verse number 9, and I want you to write this down. This is what you need to pray for your next door neighbor. This is what you need to pray for your rebellious child. Anybody got a rebellious child? Yeah, a lot of us got rebellious children, don't we? Some of you have a very difficult boss you're dealing with. I mean, when the boss walks in the room, you just say, oh, God, help me. I need you. What do you start praying? Let me show you. Write this first thing down. You got to start praying that they will abound in the love of God. Look what it says in this text, verse number nine. And this I pray that your love may abound still more and more. Can you just picture in your mind those graduates that were standing right before us? What do we pray over these graduates? We are going to pray, God, may the love of God abound in them more and more. 
When I want you to pray over your son, your daughter, when I want you to start praying over your next door neighbor, when I want you to start praying over your your boss, when I want you to start praying over your grandchildren, I want you to start praying verse number nine. Oh God, may the love of God abound in them more and more. Why are we going to pray that the love of God will abound more and more in them? Write this scripture down, 1 Corinthians 13, 13. Out of the three greatest virtues, what's 1 Corinthians 13, 13? It's the love chapter. What does it tell us? Faith, hope, and what? Love, but the greatest of these is what? Love. It doesn't matter what we know. It doesn't matter what we say. It doesn't matter what we accomplish. If we don't have the love of Christ, it doesn't matter. Why do we need to pray that their love should, should abound more and more because it's the greatest of the virtues. Why in the world are we going to pray, God, for these seniors? God, may their love abound more and more. Because you, what does the Scripture say? Hey, everybody look at me. Look at me. Don't miss this. What does the Scripture say? And they shall know us for our fighting. For they shall know us in our panic. For they shall know us in our worry. Why do we got to pray that our love will abound? For we shall be known for our what? Hold on. We shall be known for our what? Love. We got to pray, God, may our, their love abound more and more. As a matter of fact, as you look at this prayer list that Paul is praying in verse 9, 10, and 11, you're going to see he is not praying for one physical thing. Let me ask you, is there anything wrong for praying for physical things? No, man, we've been praying for Emily. Y'all been praying for us with Emily and our surgery. We've been praying for that physical thing. But please look at me. Don't miss this. We pray for the physical things, but the physical things, those things are going to be over one day. What we got to pray for more than anything is the spiritual things that our love will abound more and more and more. I want you to write this number down. Write, write this number down. Write, write, down. write down the number 80. Write down the number 80. And here's the reason why I'm asking you to pray for these graduates that the love of God will abound more and more in them. Then you're going to see that they will abound more and more in the knowledge of Almighty God. But why do we got to pray for these graduates that they will abound more and more in the love of God? Here's the reason why. I gave you the number 80. 80% of the students that are being recognized in the churches of America today, 80% of them will stop going to church in college. 80% of students that have grown up in the church, when they get to college, they are walking away from the church. 
So let's take our graduates that were before us today. That means four years from now, only about three of them are still in church. I don't know about you, but that breaks my heart. Why does it break my heart? Because that's your children. That is your grandchildren. What do we have to pray over them? Please look at me and do not miss this. We have got to pray over this next generation. And we've got to start praying that the love of God will abound in their heart. The number that is just so terrifying to me. Let's go to 11 and 12 and 13-year-olds in America. I mean, we're praying for the school in Texas, aren't we? We're praying for those families in Texas and our hearts broken. We're still praying for the, the families of Parkland. But let me tell you another number. Write the number four down. Write the number four down. And let this sink into your soul. Only 4% of 11, 12, and 13-year-olds in the United States of America are Christ followers. 96% of 11, 12, and 13-year-olds in the United States of America do not have a personal relationship with Jesus Christ. I don't know about you, but that goes like a thud into my soul. So you know what we got to start praying? we got to pray for our graduates, that their love for God is going to abound more and more. we got to pray over the children of our church that their love is going to abound more and more. we got to pray for the middle schoolers of America that they'll know Jesus and just not a video game. What does it matter if they can conquer a video game but they lose their soul? Grandparents and parents, parent your children, parent your grandchildren, not so they can know the worldly things, but they will know the love of Jesus Christ and they will abound in the love of Christ. What does it matter if they know calculus? What does it matter the best chemist in the world? What does it matter if they're a billionaire, but they miss Jesus? Look back in this text of Scripture. And this I pray, verse 9, and this I pray, that your love may abound still more and more. And look at the two things, that they will abound more and more in love and the knowledge and all discernment. You know, a great thing to start praying over your children and your grandchildren. God, I pray that they will abound in love. But God, I pray that they will be discerning in their spirit. Because here's what we know. The enemy, the devil, 
He's going to offer them some stuff that looks good, but all he's doing is putting them handcuffs. Start praying that your grandchildren and your children are going to understand and be able to discern what is right and what is wrong. It's just not praying that they get a good job. It's just not praying that they're going to make a good salary one day. It doesn't matter. What matters is that they are abounding in the love of Jesus Christ and they are filled with the knowledge of Almighty God. 1st Baptist, it's not about our children living the American dream. It is our children living God's purposes and plan. I'll I'll never forget. I I got so angry. I I had a, a student that was feeling called in the ministry. God was working law in the heart of this student. And I'll never forget that mom and dad said, oh, I just don't think, son, that God's really calling you in the ministry. I mean, man alive, you're going to be poor. You won't have anything. Life is so different. You don't want to be a minister. Whatever you do, don't do that. Go and do this. I said, oh, God. How can we become so shallow as a mom and a dad that we're more concerned with what we can physically see than we're concerned about the spirituality of a person's soul? High school graduates, I'm more concerned that your love for God abounds more and more and you grow in knowledge and discernment. Because then if God sees and you become a multimillionaire, a billionaire, that you'll have it and it won't have you. First thing, write this down. We're praying that we're going to abound in love. Second thing, write this down. Then. Pray that God will give spiritual insight and perception. Pray for spiritual insight and wisdom over your family. Where do I get that? Look at verse number 10. He first says, I'm praying for your love to abound that you'll have knowledge and discernment. Look what it says in verse 10. That you may approve the things that are excellent. We've got to start praying for our families and our neighbors and the people around us. God, give them spiritual insight, give them spiritual wisdom that they will be able to prove those things which are excellent. Here's what I believe the devil has done to us in our American families in the church. The devil has tried to tell us to do what is good, but we're missing the best. Listen to that statement again. I think so many times the devil is attempting us with good things and because the good things, we're missing the best things for our family. 
We're so wary that they're crossing all their T's and dotting all the I's that we're saying, man, those are good things, but we don't want the good things. We want the best discerning things. Let's look back at that verse, and I want you to get this. Verse 10, that you approve the things that are excellent. You know, we got to start praying. Start praying for your family that they'll have spiritual eyes and they'll see what is excellent and what is holy and what is righteous. I mean, it's straight from this text of Scripture that you will approve what is excellent. Look at the next statement in this verse. That you may be sincere and without offense to the day of Christ. That their conduct and that their character will not be an offense to Christ, but their character and their conduct will be in line with the holiness and the righteousness of God. We've got to pray that their perception, that they will know what is excellent, and they will be sincere about it. And only be sincere. Oh, God, let them. According to this verse, let their conduct and their character be without fence until the day of Christ. A while back, I, I had to go to the eye doctor. You, ever, you know, and they numb your eye, and, you, and they you got you in that little thing. They said, whatever you do, don't move. And they pull out the needle, you know, and they stick the needle right through your eyeball. I mean, do y'all like having that done? I mean, it's a weird feeling. They numb it, you know, and you're just there. And my great friend, Dr. Ten, is who always does it for me. And I'm sitting there and say, Eric, you won't feel it. It'll just feel like a little prick. And you don't move whatever you do. And, and you can just watch that thing get closer and closer and closer. And it goes into your eye. What is he doing? He's going in my eye to get such a clear perspective of what's going on. Start praying. First Baptist, let's pray that we'll have such clarity and insight that we'll only approve what is excellent. Look at verse 11, and I'm done. Verse 11. We're praying for love. We're praying for spiritual insight. We're praying for spiritual productivity or really spiritual growth. Look what it says in verse 11. Being filled with the fruits of righteousness. Right next to that, just write down Galatians chapter 5. We know Galatians chapter 5 are the fruits of the Spirit. That we are praying that the fruit of the Spirit will be seen in our hearts and our lives. How does that happen? Right next to that, right down, John chapter 15, verse 5. How does the fruit of the Spirit develop in us? John 15, verse 5 tells us, If you abide in me and I abide in you, you will bear what? How much fruit? Much fruit. It's not that you're trying to bear the fruit. 
our job is to abide in Christ. And as we abide in Christ, God will bear the fruit. Notice back in verse 11, being filled with the fruits of righteousness, which are by Jesus Christ. And here's the last thing. Look look how this ends. Verse 11. To the glory and praise of God. You know how we can pray for our families? To the glory and the praise of God. Don't you love the verse? Whatever we eat, whatever we drink, whatever we do, we're going to do it for the what? Oh, let's say that again. Whatever we eat, whatever we drink, whatever we do, we're going to do it for the what? Glory of God. First Baptist. God says, call on me. God says, I will even give you access through my son, Jesus. And Paul is saying to the church of Philippi, and this I pray. Your love will abound. You approve what is excellent. The fruit of righteousness will be seen in you for the glory of God. So here's the invitation. Here's what we're going to do for the invitation. I want it to be an invitation that we are going to spiritually pray Philippians 1, 9, 10, and 11 over our graduates, over our families, over our neighbors. So here's what's going to happen. In just a moment, we're going to stand to our feet. Pastor Ken is going to lead us. And you know what? I want you to come, and I want you to, you can sit in your seat, you can come down, and I want you to pray over your families that they will abound in the love of God. I want you to pray that your family will approve what is excellent. I want you to pray that the fruit of the Spirit of righteousness will grow in them. I want you to pray whatever they do, they will do it for the glory of God. I think this is a good prayer list, don't you? So let's just don't be a hearer of this word. Let's be a doer of the word. We're going to stand in just a moment, and I'm going to invite you. Come pray these things over your family. If you don't know Jesus, why don't you come? And, man, he'll forgive you. He'll set you free. Maybe today... Man, you need to be baptized and you've been putting it off. Come, one of the pastors will be down front. You know what? I'm going to walk in obedience and I'm going to be baptized. Some of you need to come and join. Let's just bow our heads and let's just pray. Dear Heavenly Father, we just thank you. Lord, we thank you for your word. We thank you, Lord, that Paul said, And this I pray. 
Lord, we pray that our love will abound more and more. Lord, we pray that we will approve what is excellent. And God, we pray that whatever we do, it will be done for the glory of God. As no one's moving in this room, in just a moment when we stand, some of you just need to come and you need to pray for your prodigal son or your daughter, your grandchild, and you need to pray, oh God, may the love of God abound in them and God, may they only start approving those things that are excellent. For some of you, the pastors are going to be down front. Why don't you come and get saved? Come and join the church. But all of us can pray. If you need us to pray, will you come to one of the pastors and say, please, I, I, I need prayer. This is what's going on. We want to pray with you. But let's all pray that the love will abound more and more and knowledge and discernment that will prove what is excellent and will do it all for the glory of God. Oh, Holy Spirit of God, I pray over this invitation time. God, I pray for that person who's lost. God, I pray that they'll come. I pray for the person that knows they need to be a part of First Baptist, that they'll come. God, I I pray the one that needs to get baptized, they'll come with all boldness. God, I pray for us that we won't ask amiss, but we'll ask according to your purposes and your plan. Because God... We desperately need a great move of God. In Christ's name.